Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. I want to invite you to an event we're having here on May 10th. It's called the Date Night Comedy uh, Tour. It's coming here to Topeka, and it's here in this room on May 10th. It's a Thursday evening. And if you haven't had a date night in a while, that's the night to go with. Here's why. Um, in all the research, all the research that we have seen on growing, thriving, uh, happy relationships is that the couple knows how to have fun together. And I realize we do a lot of teaching on marriage and on healthy relationships here. And so we have a lot of, this is what you need to do. This is how, you know, how to follow Christ in this area. But we haven't usually provided great environments for fun. And so this is one of those nights you can do that. So no nudge zone. If you haven't been on a date for a while, go to this. You can sign up online and purchase your tickets. I did this uh, last evening and it was easy and I made it. I'm living today and my wife and I are going on a date night. So I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, we're continuing in our series called The Most We Can Do. And the most we can do is to pray. A lot of people think that it's the last thing you should do. It's after you've tried, you've done your best. The last thing you should do when you've exhausted all other options is to pray because God helps those who help themselves, right? No, it's not. It should be the first thing. It should be the first thing. It should be our first priority. It should be our first thought, our first action. The most we can do is to pray. And as we uh, went through this, we left last week in this series. If you're joining us uh, and you're new, we've lost this. We, we, last week, we, we ended with the principles that we could practice. That any time, any time we think of praying, we should pray. Some of us pray in the morning and we think, well, I checked that off my, my, my list and so I don't have to pray anymore today. But what if, what if it was an ongoing conversation with God? What if your walk with Jesus was an ongoing conversation rather than an isolated moment in your day? So pray anytime that you remember or think of praying. And then anywhere, whether you're getting lunch through the samples at Sam's, you know, wherever you're at, Anywhere is the time, is the place to, to pray. And it could be driving in a car and you can, yes, your pastor gives you permission to pray with your eyes open, okay? My aunt believed you could not pray with your eyes open. So she, when she'd pray in a car, she made sure she was on a straightaway. But I said, I don't want to be driving around you when you're praying. So just open your eyes. Anywhere, any place, a crowded room, an isolated, um, place where you can get alone with God and pray to him. And then we added this one, no charge. (laughs) Anyone, anyone who's in front of you is a person to pray with. And I shared with you just over the course of 30 years of ministry, I've only had two people who said, don't pray for me when I've asked if I could pray with them. So you're going to get a vast majority who are open to praying with you, even people who don't yet believe. And so we, as children of God, can be people who bring great hope and great prayer in our world today. And I I practiced what I preached this week. And I was amazed how many people God put right in front of me that I could pray with. And my whole prayer life, four people, just exploded when I was just available and intentional to pray with the people God put right in front of me. And so today what we want to look at is over the course of this series, we're going to be going through each line of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to focus on Matthew 6, verse 9, where Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray like this, Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Let's take a look at each one of these kind of phrases and uh, try to think about what they really mean. This first concept of our father. Whenever you think about father, what goes through your mind? Some of us have grown up in families that are the worst case scenario when we think of fathers. Some of us may have experienced abuse. Some of us have experienced neglect. Um, I've had friends who've had horrible relationships with their father. And so whenever they try to come and pray, our father, their kind of resistance, their bitterness, all that brokenness comes up. And all I would say to that is, I think one of the reasons it bothers you so much that you've uh, had a poor father or a bad example, worst case scenario father, is that you long for a really good father, right? And we all long for that, especially when we don't have it and we see it in others and we long for that. Well, we have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father who is the best of all fathers in this world. He's the creator of the universe. He's God almighty, but also he wants to be called father. So come to him as father. And if you've had a wonderful experience with your father and you long to be around them, you long to emulate them and they, you admire them, your heavenly father is even better, is even better. I've had some, uh, I have wonderful relationships with my kids. I have three boys. But I still have those haunting moments where I remember my boys kept me humble. One of it was when Jack, who's now 21, when he was eight years old, and I just, um, I came unglued at home. I lost it with my anger, and I didn't correct out of love. I corrected out of just impatience and reactive anger. And he just broke into tears. I'll never forget this. And he looked up at me and said, Dad! This house will not be a house of anger. (laughs) And I just went, oh. Jack has always kept me humble as a father. And one of the things that I could never do is replace his heavenly father. And I'm so thankful he loves his heavenly father today. And as a father, I want my kids to love Jesus and love their heavenly father. And I want them to pray as our Father. And our Father is something we're all to pray. As followers of Jesus, we're called to pray in to the Father. And then in heaven, what does it mean that our Father's in heaven? Why would Jesus ask us to pray our Heavenly Father or our Father in heaven? Well, heaven is the place, as we read in the scriptures, where God is perfectly glorified. He's in his rightful place. He's being glorified. He's being praised. He's being worshiped. There's nothing, there is nothing out of order in heaven. That's important for us because there are a ton of things out of order on this world. When this world is coming unhinged, it's good to know that God is perfectly glorified in heaven. We read in Isaiah where Isaiah sees the Lord and he sees the, the throne of God and the whole place is filled with his glory and he hears the creatures and angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. And he's leveled by that. He just realizes the glory of God. In the, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, John is, is getting a picture of, of heaven, and he's leveled also. He says, I've seen the glory of God, and he sees this place. God is being worshipped, and therefore what's happening in heaven needs to happen in my heart. I need to be glorifying what's happening, glorifying the God who who is being glorified in heaven right now. Heaven is also represents that there's a person who is in heaven, who is God, the Father, who is ruling over all that exists. 
He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Paul would say in, in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow in heaven and under heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus right now is on his throne in heaven. When we pray to our Father, he's on the throne. It may look like he's off the throne here on earth because very few people are worshiping him, but he is on his throne. And we need to remember that when we pray there is a place where he is on his throne and he is ruling and it is good and his righteousness is reigning and then the last thing we need to know about heaven is that's our final destination if you're a follower of jesus when you put your faith and trust in christ heaven is secure for us and so heaven is our home that's the place we're to be living for i know it's easy to look at the comforts of this life and to just up you know upgrade or to take that next little gadget that gives you a little bit of more joy in your life but really our true joy needs to be the eternity we have with god in heaven forever and ever ever amen i mean this is the picture that we're given and so we're called not to invest it all on this earth we're called to live for heaven every time we pray our Father in heaven. And then thirdly, it's hallowed be your name. And this is a picture of the name of the Lord. The scriptures really lift up a respect and reverence and honor for the name of the Lord. I love one, one psalm out of many that talk about the name of the Lord is Psalm 116, where David cried out and he sought the name of the Lord and God delivered him. The name of the Lord is, should be our first and highest praise and person that we look to. Hallowed be your name. It means that we respect the name of God. And I know when something happens... This is kind of interesting just how our culture responds to this because when something happens that surprises you or confounds you or frustrates you, what do you usually hear from people who even who are atheists? You hear this, oh my God, you hear that. And that's using the name of the Lord in vain. We're called as followers of Jesus not to use the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, we don't curse him when things don't make sense to us, we look to him and we trust him when things don't make sense to us. So when we hallow his name, we put his name in its rightful place, not last and least, but best and most and highest and first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so when we pray like this, what does it mean when we pray to God as Father, as our Father? Well, ultimately, in in short phrase, in one point, it means this. It means that we're family. We're family. When we pray, God treats us as family. We're on the inside. We're not on the outside. And what this means is, is that we realize who God is as our father and then who we are as his children. And how did this happen? This happened because of the person in the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul details this in Galatians chapter 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Let's talk about this because there's some rich stuff here that happens. It says, ultimately, we're all in God's family, not because of natural birth, not because of our family background, or even because of our lineage, not because of our race. We're in because of Jesus. And none of us deserve this, but all of us can have it. And we're in because Jesus came and he lived a life we couldn't live. He lived perfectly. Now, is anyone perfect in this room? I know some of us can live with people who think they're perfect. <laughs> but, but all of us are fallen. None of us, if we're compared to Christ, none of us measure up. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. So we need Jesus to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. He lived perfectly for us. And he died finally on a cross for our sins. That's why the cross is the picture of biblical Christianity. Because it goes, looks to the person... And the place where God settled the score. He took out all the punishment for my sin and yours. All the frustration and wrath on my life he put on his own son Christ. And when he died, he paid that price with his death. Being perfect and dying, he settled the debt. And then he rose again on the third day. He rose and defeats the power of death and sin in my life because of that. And as a result, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I've now been adopted into the family of God. God has adopted us. He chose us. He loved us. He adopted us. If you've ever been adopted, you know what I'm talking about. There's a tension. There's a tension, especially in adolescence, when you wonder about the family you could have been born into and the family you're in right now. There's a lot of questions with that. And sometimes there is rebellion against your family and the family you're in if you've been adopted. You wonder, what would it have been like over here? Why did this happen so that I'm now in this family? And here, what God wants to remind us is ultimately, the family that you were born into is a family, not, I mean, before Christ, was a family where you were dead to God in sin, and now you've been made alive to God through Christ. And it's this family that we're really called to live in. It's this family that we've been redeemed out of our old family into a new family. And we're to treat him as father. We're to refer to him and reflect his love in our lives. What Jesus does when he teaches the Lord's Prayer, as Luke kind of talks about in Luke chapter 11, he brings on a whole nother phase of what it's like to call him father when we pray to him. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 11 with verse, verse 5, beginning with verse 5. And Jesus is teaching. And he shows him two scenarios. One is, and this is what I want you to look out for as we're reading this passage. One is the worst neighbor or the worst hospitality and the worst father on earth. Look at how he develops this. First one is this. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Let's just pause here because we don't know it, but we need to understand the culture in which Jesus spoke and the, the ancient Middle Eastern culture there to understand this. Jesus was telling a joke and we didn't get it. We don't get it in our culture. Because it's conceivable that someone will knock on our door at midnight and want something to eat, or it's a friend of ours who's come from a long journey, you know, stumbled, stumbles in, and we have nothing to give them. 
But in the Middle Eastern world, that's the greatest insult to a neighbor is that someone would show up in the middle of the night and you wouldn't have enough food to give to them. There's always the thought for the stranger who comes and knocks on my door or the friend who knocks on my door. I remember growing up in a Middle Eastern family. My grandmother, we referred to her in Arabic as Sitte. And Sitte would have me over. I would just stop in. I'd be driving by in her neighborhood. I'd stop in and I would sit down at her table and she'd go, come in, Habibi. Come on, sit down right here. And she would start pouring on the food. The kitchen table would just be stacked with food. Sitte, I'm not hungry. I know you're not hungry, Habibi, but eat more. Come on, eat more. <laughs> Look at you. You don't eat enough. And so it's the greatest insult that someone would stop by and she wouldn't give them Food. I remember I was eating. <laughs> we had our kids um, and my parents, and we went out to dinner to a friend's house, and their parents didn't have enough food for us. And my father was so offended. Can you imagine going to someone's house and them not having enough food? The audacity of what they're saying about us, you know? Because in the Arab world, it's the greatest insult to have, not have enough. And so when Jesus told this, people went, oh, I could never imagine someone arriving and us not giving them food. Look at verse 7. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. <laughs> now, most ancient Middle Eastern homes were one-bedroom homes. And so everyone slept around you. But if your friend came, you'd get up. So here, the friend, for someone to have the audacity to say, I'm not getting up, my kids are sleeping, the door is shut, is something else that would cause the crowd that Jesus was talking to to laugh. I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, Jesus said, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, or another word for that is persistence, in other words, continual knocking, wake up, wake up, he will rise And he will give him whatever he needs. And Jesus then teaches us how to ask. He says this, verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who, who, who knocks, it will be opened. And then he tells the story of the worst father, okay? He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Hi, I'm Joe. I hate snakes. I would not give a snake to my worst enemy. There's no way I'm going to give a snake. When I see a snake, I'm like, yeah, get away. And you go, oh, some of you snake lovers who have them in your garage and feed a small goat to them. I mean, you guys, there's just a whole new world for you. And I love you. I will not follow your tendencies. It's crazy that anyone would love a snake, no, let alone, I mean, we may not give the, the type of fish that our kids ask for, but we'd never give them a snake. Never a snake. But Jesus continues. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Hi, I'm Joe. I hate scorpions and spiders. I see them. I go for the metal, you know, steel toe boot and, you know, praise the Lord, they're done. And some of you have pet tarantulas. I mean, yikes. I'd never give my kid that for any, even if they requested it. No, answer, no. 
you're a grown adult. No, no, I just don't like, I'd never give it. I'd never give it. And so what Jesus interprets it as is, can any of you think of doing that to your children? Even if your kids are disobedient, even if they're, you know, they don't like to be around you, none of us could ever, as fathers, imagine giving our children something like this. And so Jesus brings it all in on verse 13. He says, if you then, who are evil, I want you to understand evil there, in the direct interpretation of that Greek word are two words. One is flesh and blood. So if you're mortal, people who've fallen into sin, but who are mortal flesh and blood, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? If you have your Bible open, just underline those three words. How much more will a heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what Jesus is saying is, look, even in the worst-case scenarios, the worst of neighbors will get up if you keep knocking. How much more will your heavenly Father listen when you pray? And if the worst father among you, the worst you could even imagine that would give their child a snake when he asked for a fish or a scorpion if he asked for an egg, if, if that would never happen on earth, can you ever imagine your heavenly father doing that when you pray to him? And so we're called, this has some ramifications for our, our lives and our prayer lives. And the first one is this, when, we, uh, when we're praying to our father in heaven, we can approach him without fear. For Jesus to refer to God as Father, as his Father, it's a personal relationship. It was totally revolutionary in the day to refer to God as our Father. There were image, there's imagery in the, New, in the Old Testament of God as Father, but there's very few statements of direct, you are our Father, you are our Father, pray to him as Father. It's always been Almighty God everlasting God, but Father, Jesus brings us into a relationship. And we can do that without fear. A lot of us fear God, and we fear God in a way that keeps us on the sidelines of prayer. James says that perfect love casts out fear. And so having God for my Father puts an end to fear. Because what do we do when we're afraid of someone? When someone's a threat to us, when we think someone's against us, usually our heart rate rises We tend to close off and we tend to walk away from those people. We tend to write a story, and here's the story. They are the villain, I am the victim. And each day just writes a new chapter in that. And if we're not careful, we'll write a book or several volumes set on these people. And we'll want to stay away. And some of us can do that, especially if something's happened in your life that you don't understand. God, why are you doing this? I don't understand it. I'm out. God, if you're a loving God, how do you allow this to happen in the world? How about all those people who've never heard about you? I'm out. And so we approach him in kind of a bitterness or an anger rather than as his children. And here's the truth I've learned about children. Children don't know everything about their parents. They don't. Now, we we don't know as children, we don't know everything our Heavenly Father is up to. We don't know every purpose he's doing. We know some of his purposes, And those give us a kind of a a picture and a perspective to hold on to his hand when we don't understand what's going on in our lives. But God is saying, you don't have to fear anymore. There's no fear in this. Come, you can approach without fear. Secondly, we're accepted with love. We're accepted with love. I think we are great at rejecting ourselves and rejecting others. And we listen a lot to the news around us about how people feel about us or what people say about us. Sometimes 
far more, sometimes far more than we should. And we need to hear these words from our Heavenly Father that we're accepted in love. He is 100% available for us anywhere, anytime, with anyone who's in front of us. So run to him. Remember that he accepts us with love. I read uh, some research this week that the average American family, um, the father spends 20 minutes around their children a day. That means 20 minutes in what's called a passively attentive uh, position in their children's lives. But only 38 seconds a day in meaningful face-to-face, eye-to-eye conversation. Think about that. 38 seconds a day, that's less than five minutes a week face-to-face. So there's a longing for our children. And if we do this over time, our kids are just not going to want to be around us, right? And it may be have an impact on your relationship with your Heavenly Father because if we aren't having conversations and we're not growing in the art of having face-to-face, eye-to-eye conversations, why would we go to God and seek that with Him? And so there needs to be a revival. I think it needs to start in the church where we put away all those other distractions and the people who are not there in front of us so we can be present with the people who God has placed right in front of us. I don't want a video in heaven of me walking down the road like this. I just don't want that. I don't want to be a zombie (laughs) in this world. And sometimes a screen can do that. Screens are helpful, and I'm not asking you to crash your screen, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But they can't cloud out what's most important in our lives. We can't let these distractions keep us from the love that is ours in Christ. And we need to realize this. We need to realize that God is 100% anytime, anywhere, with anyone I'm with, presently loving and accepting us. We need to realize that we are loved beyond measure, that we're accepted even amidst our failures and shortcomings by this God, that we're valued as priceless, that we have his attention. He's not on his screen looking at South America over a crisis there. He's open and he's available for us and that he listens to us despite even our mumblings and our stumblings in prayer. That's one of the things I hear as a common pushback to prayer. I just don't know what I would say, or I wouldn't say it in the right way. Joy, I can't pray like you. We've got to realize God is interested in you. I have a way I talk to God. He's far more interested in listening to your words than my words for you. And so we need to be people who run to him and live in this love. And then thirdly, we have access into his presence. In other words, we're not on the outskirts. God doesn't have this security detail that keeps us from him. And I think as we look in the world, when we look at important people, when we look at famous people, there's always a security detail that keeps people on the outside. But there's something about the children of the famous that levels every one of them. Like one of my greatest pictures, since I don't like Tom Brady, is he won the Super Bowl several years ago. And here's Tom Brady. Amen? Wow. Thank you. I'm glad I live in Topeka and not out east. (laughs) So he wins the Super Bowl and he has his little daughter with him and everyone's taking pictures. Oh, Tom Brady's daughter. She's picking her nose. I loved it. I loved it because it humbles the best of us. Humbles the best of us. Kids, we can say we're wonderful parents and then our kids show up. Yeah. 
Kids just level us. But kids see us on the inside. We can't hide from that. And your heavenly father is saying, you're on the inside. When, you know, you you see a security detail, everyone's kept out, but the kid can walk right through, right to the living room and put a hug on dad or talk to them. And, And a good heavenly father sees that child and says, come on in, you have access. You have access right to where I'm at. And then we should ask confidently. We should be people then that ask boldly. I see that as a problem in the church. I see, Lord, I prayed this back in 1967, and you haven't answered it yet, so I'm not praying it anymore. And the picture that we get here is is we get a picture of keep on. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's something about my heart, and there's something about a relationship that goes with our, us and our Heavenly Father to where he says, keep on asking. It's not that God has a number. Okay, when you pray 1.6 million times for that thing, then I'll give it to you. But there's something about us that changes our heart, that moves in us to do that. And so I wanted to kind of work through an exercise, a practice that I've learned to develop in, in applying this relationship with God as my Father and me as his child. It has to do with this passage that I just want to repeat again. In verse 9 and 10 of Luke 11, Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So let's talk about those, because each one of those verbs, ask, seek, and knock, have a what's called a present imperative to them, which means keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. So I took that out of place there. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Let's take each one of those words just as we, we understand this and apply this. First one is this. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? And let me clarify that a little, mo- little more. What do you need that only God can give. Only God can give. This is important um, because we need to be intentional. We need to really, when I think God is saying, when you pray, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus, when he would walk on this earth, he would ask someone. Sometimes it was so rhetorical, like, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> to someone who is crippled. Yeah, of course. It, it, it was important that that person would say, I want you to heal me. And so what is it in your life right now? What are you asking God for? If, if you can think of that, write it down in your notes. What are you asking God for? What do you need that only God gives? I think about what a prayer might look like here is, Father, I need more faith to trust you more than I trust myself in this area. I think it's so easy to just be in prayerless striving as a follower of Jesus and to do all the work and our last resort is prayer. When in reality, we need to be going, Father, I am wanting to kind of do this on my own and really I need to be dependent on you. Another prayer might look when you're asking is, Father, I need more love to give the people in my life who have hurt me or wounded me or have broken a part of my life. I need more love because that's not going to come from me. I, I need that and only God gives that kind of love. Others might pray, God, 
our Father, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Lord, I need your provision through this day for this thing. Lord, I need more peace. I need more patience. What are you asking God for? And then secondly, what are you seeking God for? And by seeking, what do I mean? I mean this. What's happening in your life that you need to understand? In other words, you don't understand it now. And this is a great moment of faith. A lot of people think your faith grows when you know everything God is doing in your life and you can see what God is doing in your life. That's when you, where I want to be in my faith. No, what we see in the scriptures is that people grew when they didn't know what to do, but God showed them what to do. And they trusted him. They took that next step of faith. So when you seek, you're saying, God, uh, this is something that's happening in my life that I don't understand. What's happening in your life that you don't understand? That relationship, you thought it would be long-term, and it's over. That job, you thought it would be a promotion, and it actually was two boxes and a security guard to clear out your desk. Now, all those things that shock you, that go, what in the world is totally by surprise? What happened? It may have been the death of a loved one. Why are you doing this, God? It's so easy in our lives to go, since I don't understand it, 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 God certainly doesn't know what he's doing. And that's to put God's mind and to say it must fit into yours. And the exact opposite is true. And so what are you seeking? What's happening in your life? Write that down in that space there. What are you seeking to understand that you don't know right now. And that might be a prayer that says, says, Father, show me what you want me to do with this. Another prayer might be, Father, reveal some picture of good that might happen from this. Because I don't know, it seems all bad right now. Or Father, I don't know what's happening, but I need your perspective to see something I'm not catching right now. These are the prayers that God the Father loves. He honors those who seek. He who seeks, she who seeks, will find. And then what are you knocking for? And what do we mean by this? What we mean is that what is closed right now that you long for God to open in your life? One of the things I've been praying that's closed right now is I, I think our area is fairly closed to the gospel and I've been praying for a major spiritual awakening uh, that, that many people in our community... So I pray for the Topeka area, and I'm honored to live here, and I pray that God would use us as his family to be a part of a major awakening here. I've also looked at places around the world that are far from the gospel. They don't even have a church to preach the gospel. And right now, just because of the place, it's very closed to the gospel. 4,100 people groups have never heard the gospel in this world. I pray for those places as, I made, as I'm made aware of those places that are closed that I long for them to be open. Some of us, it may be relationships. You may be in, at, at odds and in conflict with your children or with your spouse. And you need to pray, Father, I trust my daughter to you. I trust my son to you whose hearts are closed to you and to me. I pray for those to be opened It might even be your heart. Father, I don't want to forgive that person. I want to get revenge on them because that is working out for me right now. And Lord, that's not the heart that you want me to have. So I pray for my heart to be open to your leading. What are you knocking for? Things that are closed that you long to be opened. 
God absolutely loves these types of prayers. He loves as a father to hear them from your heart and to answer them from his provision. And the issue about God is it's not that he doesn't have the resources. I think heaven is overflowing with his resources. I think the issue is with us. If we're honest, we don't ask for them. We don't ask, we don't seek, we don't knock. Here's the deal. We are invited in. Your heavenly father says, children, ask me. I love to give good things. And so I think the problem has been is that the church, we haven't asked enough. And so we have all these opportunities and all these resources at our prayer fingertips and we never receive them because we don't ask for them. Go bold with God. Be his child. Make him as your father and take pleasure and delight in your heavenly father. Hallowed be his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for calling us and adopting us into your family. Move in our hearts and our minds and our prayers right now, Heavenly Father. May we see you as our Father and us as your children. May we make your name great on this earth as it is in heaven. We give you the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.